right, Matthew chapter 6, we're going to read verses 25 to 34 this morning. Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray together. Father, I know that we often talk about the fact that we bring multiple experiences, we bring a lot of baggage into this room. God, we come before you. God, we come before you wanting to hear your word. God, asking you to do something in our lives and in our church that only you can do. God, we don't come to hear any particular person speak. We definitely don't come for answers we could have gotten elsewhere. God, we come before you, asking that your spirit would work in our hearts, asking you that you would change the outlook of our lives. God, you would change what we live for. You would change how we live. And you would do that because of what Jesus has done in and through us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you know, um, every Sunday, as we're trying to decide what songs to play, what songs best match where we are as a church, and what it looks like to praise the Lord, and what it looks like to connect with God's Word, we're always having to make decisions about what to include, what to leave out. I have a little music video Uh, I want you to watch of one of the songs we had to leave out this week that we were not able to uh, include. I think we have that video. Okay, well, um, so that song is not normally in our, uh, in our selection of worship songs for what it looks like to gather before the Lord together, but you do have in your Bible Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, where Jesus says, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus says right there, don't be anxious. Don't be worried. Is that 
just Hakuna Matata? Is this just Bob Newhart yelling, stop it, at all of his therapy patients and that old mad TV skit? What's going on here? What does Jesus mean when he says, do not be anxious? When he says, do not be worried? What does that look like in everyday life? So a couple of weeks ago, I sent this exact text message to a group of friends. Here's what the text said. I've really been struggling with anxiety issues the past couple of weeks, and it's been really bad the past few days. Pray that I'll have wisdom and courage to trust the Lord and know how to navigate this. Not the first time, but seems pretty bad right now. Thanks for your care and support. Many of you over the last couple of days have sent me emails of your own battles with anxiety and worry. We come into a room like this with all kinds of things that cause us anxiety and worry. Charles Spurgeon, who was one of, I mean, on anybody's list of top 10 preachers of, of all time, Charles Spurgeon, when he was 22 years old, was preaching to crowds of around 7,000 people on a weekly basis. And when he was 22 years old in 1856, he was in a crowded auditorium preaching to a crowd that was pr approaching 7,000 people by most estimates. Someone in the crowd yelled fire, and it caused a panic, and as people ran out, multiple people died in the chaos as they were leaving. And Spurgeon talked about from then on, every time he stood to preach, he faced this anxiety and this depression that was always around him. In fact, one of his most famous writings had to do with how do you handle depression and anxiety and worry when it comes in life. And Spurgeon mentioned that usually either we're born with a tendency toward anxiety or worry, or there's some type of circumstance that comes in and it causes this deep anxiety and worry in our life. It comes, it's such a complicated topic because it's different for everybody. There's different spectrums. Some people, it just comes and goes. Some people feel like they live under this dark cloud every single day. For some people, it feels like I was just born this way. For others, you had something really hard in life that, that triggered it or prompted it. What does it look like? Most importantly, what does Jesus say here in the Sermon on the Mount about this? Let's look back at verse 25 and start to kind of piece this together. How do we approach this idea of worry? anxiety. Verse 25, Jesus starts out with, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. Now I realize this is a very preachery thing to do, to like stop after the first phrase, but I want you to make sure that you connect with this from the beginning. When Jesus is saying, therefore I tell you, he's carrying on what he's already been talking about. He's already been talking about the way that the need to be seen publicly or the need to be appreciated, to be applauded. Also, this desire to lay up security and wealth here on earth. All of those things can prompt anxiety because we wonder, are those people still going to like me? Or we wonder, am I going to have enough money to be able to make it through the next month? All of these things come in and, and they cause anxiety. And so Jesus says, what I'm saying now connects to what I've been saying before. I know you were struggling with those things before, but don't miss the way that all of that plays into this issue of worry. Because, there's a key word up there. It's the word anxious. What does it mean when Jesus says, therefore do not be anxious, therefore do not be worried? 
that term, and this is important to, to pick up on, that term is a general word for being concerned about something or having care for something. It's not wrong to be concerned about certain things in life or to have care for certain things in life. That is a purposely general term that sometimes has a very good meaning. So in 1 Corinthians 7.33, it's good for a husband to be concerned about his wife, to have care for his wife. Chapter 12, the church is supposed to care for one another. Philippians 2, Timothy showed care for the people who lived at Philippi. The opposite of anxiety is not apathy. Jesus is not saying, hakuna matata, just live like everything is, is okay. There is a time and a place to have concern. Things matter. The opposite of anxiety is not living as if nothing matters. The danger that comes is when we live as if the things that don't matter as much are most important. The danger comes when we worry about the wrong things to the wrong degree for the wrong reasons. We're going to have problems in life. We're going to need to make plans. But the danger comes when those things begin to overtake us. When you go back here to verse 25, actually, let's look at stay on that side, slide just for a second. So what is Jesus talking about? He's talking about worrying about the wrong things to the wrong degree for the wrong reasons. We should ask, how do I know when that's happening in my life? How do I know when I've gone from just, hey, I should really be concerned about this situation to, you know what, this is getting dangerous. This is, this is edging towards sin and not trusting in God. How do I know when that's happening? One way we know that's happening is when something begins to dominate our thinking. Worry has this ability to drive everything else out of your life, and all you think about is what you're worrying about. It dominates your thinking, it dominates your life constantly, and it's all that I think about, it's all I give myself to. It also steals our joy and energy. So the ancient writers, not Christian writers, but just ancient writers in general, when they would talk about anxiety, they would say that anxiety caused old age and sleeplessness. <laughs> so if you deal with worry, you're going to grow old fast, and you're not going to sleep. And isn't this the frustration of worry? I'm exhausted, but I can't sleep. I'm exhausted because I'm so worried about what's going on in life, but I'm so worried that I can't actually get what I really need, which is sleep. It, it steals this joy and this energy, especially if you deal with depression. You know what it feels like for all the joy to be sapped out uh, of life. It distracts us, and we're going to get to this in the text very quickly, but it distracts us from mission, from what's most important. Worry has a way of saying, don't look at this, which you really need to be focused on. Look over here that, at something that's not quite as important. It takes our thinking away from what we really need to be focused on. And finally, it affects our relationship with God and with others. When your worry, when your anxiety starts to prevent or get in the way of that faith and that worship toward God, or it starts to drive wedges in your relationship and your family and your friends, that's when you know, hey, I've got to do something. I've got to, I've got to understand this. What is Jesus saying specifically in verse 25? Go back there. He says, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body 
more than clothing. What Jesus is doing here is he's saying it's possible to be consumed with the outward things of life. I'm so consumed with worry about the circumstances of my life, what I would eat or what I would wear, that I miss what is most important. So I worry about things that are only marginally important, and I don't worry about what really matters, my relationship with God. Sometimes when you're dealing with depression or when you're dealing with anxiety, it's the most basic things in life that trip you up. It's, what do I wear today? And then you have a panic attack about, I just don't know. Now, this is not like the like eighth grade girl panic attack about what to wear in the morning. This is like a deep, deep concern about, I'm so tripped up by what do I eat, what do I wear, just these basic outward things of life that I'm not able to deal with what is most important. And the key phrase in those verses is more than. Jesus is saying, you were created for more than what you're letting dominate your life. I know you're caught up in worry. I know you're caught up in anxiety, but that is not what you were made for. You are being dominated by the circumstances of life when God has made you for so much more than that. So what's the answer? How, how do you get beyond this? The key is at the very beginning of verse 26. Therefore I tell you, look. Now you might say, oh, and you're really trying to pull a lot out of one word. But it has to do with the argument that Jesus has been building all the way back even before the Sermon on the Mount started, but definitely in the Sermon on the Mount. Here's the key, and here's my concern for myself this morning. I don't want you to come this morning and feel like I went to a seminar about worry and anxiety and depression. That is not why we have gathered here this morning. Every one of us, whether you deal with anxiety or where you deal with apathy and a careless pursuit to life, every one of us, our greatest need and our greatest hope is looking to Jesus. Our greatest need and our greatest hope is the gospel. When we think about dealing with anxiety, when we think about dealing with worry, our greatest hope is when we turn and we look to Jesus. Because when you're in the middle of worry, when you're in the middle of anxiety, your perspective, your worldview, what you're looking at in life can get so distorted. Because all you do is your, your tunnel vision focuses in on whatever's causing trouble in life. Or you become so focused on yourself that you're not able to look to what God wants to do in your life. And so here's what I want to tell you this morning, that from the very beginning, if we do not build this on the hope of Easter, if we do not tackle this from the perspective of what Jesus wants to do in our lives, we miss the whole point. Because Jesus is calling us to our, himself and saying, I've taken on your shame. I've taken on your worry. I've taken on your anxiety. And I want to give you life. And I want to give you hope. And, and, and I want to give it to you in a way that it doesn't mean that immediately all your problems go away. There's a phrase up there that if you stick around Emmaus, you're going to hear us use. It's the phrase, already, not yet. If you are battling worry, if you've been, had things happen in life that feel like they've just torn your life apart, the hope of Jesus 
is this hope that comes to us in an already not yet sort of way. Here's what I mean. When you turn and trust in Jesus, your hope in him is secure. His victory is complete. Your hope in him is solid. But that doesn't mean all the problems in life immediately go away. That doesn't mean all the worries that you deal with immediately go away. Already, Jesus is victorious. Not yet have we seen everything that that is going to mean in eternity. That's why a verse like John 16, is such good news when you deal with worry and anxiety. John 16, This is one of those realism parts of the Bible that draw me to trust the Bible even more and more because of how realistic Scripture is. I have told you these things so that in me you have peace. So I'm dealing with anxiety. I'm dealing with, my wor- with worry. I desperately need peace. Jesus said, I've come to you. I've spoken to you so you can have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. What kind of peace is that, Jesus? Like, come to me. I'll give you peace. Hey, you're still going to have trouble in, in the world. Like, the, the challenges are still going to be there, but take heart. I have overcome the world. If you are buried under worry or anxiety or difficult circumstances, whatever you're dealing with, the foundation, our hope, is when we look to the one who has overcome all those things. You say, Jesus doesn't have a clue about the worry and anxiety that I'm going through. I would really encourage you to read the parts of the Bible just before his crucifixion. Because Jesus went through the deepest anxiety and the deepest worry that any of us could ever imagine. And he took that on and he came victorious so that we can look to him. And if that is true, then how do we move forward? So we look to him, number one, I'm dealing with worry, so I look to Jesus. He's my hope. I trust in his death and his resurrection to save me. Number two, what does he do next? Well, verse 26 He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns that your heavenly Father feeds them. And then you get down to verse 30 and it says, this is how God clothes the grass of the field. Look in verse 28. Consider the flowers of the field. Consider the lilies of the field. Jesus says, hey, if you're dealing with worry and anxiety, Look at the birds. Look at the flowers. Now, Amanda and I are not quite old enough to have started our bird watching career yet. Um, so uh, I know that some of you are expert bird watchers. Uh, I, however, as an eighth grader, I was the Stevens County FFA plant identification champion. So I know how to look at flowers pretty well. Uh, that is as high as my blue corduroy FFA jacket ever took me was to the county plan identification champion, but I can look at flowers uh, pretty well. So what is Jesus talking about? Why does he say, hey, you're buried under anxiety and worry. Look at the birds and the flowers. Why, Why does Jesus say that? A couple of reasons. First is in wisdom teaching, like makes up the Sermon on the Mount, looking at creation was a way we learn how to operate in the world. So it doesn't mean look at the birds They don't sow or reap, therefore be lazy. (laughs) It means look at the birds, how God cares for them. Because when we look at creation, it makes us think about the creator, how he created all things, including us. And so he is in control. 
But here's the other thing, and I want to be really careful about this because especially if you deal with depression, I I don't want to minimize that at all, but hear me out. One of the reasons that Jesus says to look at the birds and the flowers when you're dealing with anxiety and worry is because worry has a way of trapping us, of, of drawing us in, even to the point of drawing us inside. And so the more we get brought within our house, the more we get brought within ourselves, our problems get bigger and bigger in our mind. One of the greatest gifts we have is a creator who has made beautiful birds and beautiful flowers, and he says, hey, look at those. I know you're struggling with worry. I know you're struggling with anxiety. Look at the birds. Look at the flowers. Get outside. When I'm in my office, and sometimes the problems start to feel really big, and I can feel this, this anxiety building, one of the best things you can do is just get up and walk outside. Just remind ourselves that all of life's problems are not confined in my body or in this room or in this house. Just go outside and remember the one who created all things. First, cha- first Kings chapter 19 Elijah's just come off this incredibly powerful experience of God's glory, and he falls into deep darkness and depression. 1 Kings chapter 19, God comes to him and says, take a nap and eat something. You don't believe me? Look at 1 Kings chapter 19. God comes to Elijah in his depression and his darkness and says, hey man, just take a nap and eat something. Like, it's, it's going to be all right. It's also a good reminder that that depression and worry doesn't always come just when things are going bad. Sometimes you can come off one of the highest points in life and fall the furthest. God comes to us in those times and says, hey, remember that I'm at work. What about if you can't get outside? What if you, what if you physically aren't able to do that? Bring some of those good gifts to you. Music, art, poetry, good conversation, even simple as lighting. Those of you that have lived up north during the winter, you, you know the reality of not getting the light that we need and what that can do to our demeanor and to our, to our emotions. Just something as simple as having a friend who's willing to walk in your house and open up the blinds, just to let some of that into our lives. And you might say, and Owen, that's, that's not very spiritual. Like, a few minutes ago, you were telling us to trust in Jesus for salvation. Like, that's good. I like that. Now you're telling us to let light into our house and to go outside and look at the birds. That doesn't feel as spiritual. But that gets to the heart of our misunderstanding of how God's spirit really works in our life. That we don't have our spiritual life over here and the rest of our life over here. That those things are spiritual as well. That God created us body, mind, and spirit. And he brings all of those things together. If you don't believe me, watch the way how your body feels, affects your emotions, what you think about, how you treat people around you, where you are spiritually, that all of those things are, are meant to come together. And what they're really meant to do is they're meant to make us look at our Heavenly Father. And that's number three on your notes. So I'm buried under worry. Number one, I look to Jesus for salvation because that's the foundation for everything. Number two, I look at creation, that, what he's made. Number three, I look up at our Heavenly Father because look there in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father 
feeds them. It gets lost in most translations, but there's kind of a funny wordplay going on here. The word for birds of the air is actually birds of the heavens. And then Jesus will turn right around and say, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. What he's doing with his language here is he's trying to focus our eyes up. Look to Jesus, look to creation, look up to the one who has provided all these things. When my mind and my face and my heart is buried in my problems and all this worry starts to build up, Jesus says, just, just look up. This is the gift of worship. You know in worship, as we, as we raise our voices, we raise our heads, it's, it's almost a symbolic way of lifting our gaze off the things that are dominating us, dominating us and reminding us of who is truly in control that we were able to look up to him. And when we look to him, we remember that he is faithful, but we also remember that we are valuable. When it says after your heavenly father feeds them, it says, are you not of more value than they? So in our Christian tradition, if we're not careful, we only tell one part of the Christian story. And we talk about, I'm a sinner, I'm nothing but a worm, I'm worthless. And, and yeah, with, we, in our sins, we are separated from God. I'm not taking away from that. And our ability to fix our problems, we are as weak as a worm. But in Christ, and because of the one who created us, we are incredibly valuable. And when you are in a time of anxiety... And when you are in a time of worry and depression, it's so easy for our view of ourself to become distorted. And you start to say, I'm worthless. I'm a nobody. Nobody cares about me. My value in life has gone down to nothing. When that's not true. Jesus says here, don't be anxious. Remember the value you have because of who created you. And whose you are. Worry simultaneously makes us think too much of ourselves and too little of ourselves. So when I worry, all I think about is myself. All I think about is my problems. All I think about is what, I, what I'm dealing with. So I think about myself all the time, but I also think about myself as completely worthless. And so it pulls us in both directions. I'm both too important because all I think about is myself. And I'm not important at all because I feel worthless in the time. And Jesus says, just come back to the one who created you. Look at your heavenly father and remember the value you have from him. And remember that he is faithful. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 21 to 24. Yet this I call the mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love... We are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, I love that phrase. <laughs> Sometimes when you're buried under anxiety and worry, you've got to talk yourself out of the situation. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. I'm going to speak to myself Things that are true about my great God. Because I'm not going to be dominated by what's in front of me. I'm going to look up to him. I'm going to put my faith in him. 
So many times in our marriage, uh, for, for Amanda and me, when we've hit difficult circumstances, and I realize we're not as far down the road as, as many of you, but one thing we've found to be true is when we hit difficult circumstances and worry sets in, and honestly, it's usually with me, but when worry sets in, one thing we do is we always look back and say, yeah, but remember how God was faithful then? And remember what he did in that situation? And remember how he brought us through that situation? And so we're looking back and remember, yeah, he was faithful then. He was faithful then. He'll be faithful now. He'll be faithful tomorrow. A younger believer looks at an older believer in church and says, man, I wish I had the faith that that person has, that that older believer has. And the older believer looks at the younger believer and says, yeah, I just have more experience with a faithful God. And that's the gift of an intergenerational church. That's why we need each other. Because mom, you're not the first one to go through postpartum depression. You're not the first one to deal with kids going off to college. Dads, you're not the first one to deal with identity crisis at work. You're not the first one to wonder if the bills are gonna be paid. Students, you're not the first one to deal with dating or self-worth or identity issues. God gives us people who have gone the, through these things already so that they can speak into our lives and say, I know you're going through a hard time. I know this is difficult, but let me tell you how faithful God is. Let me tell you how he worked in my life. And it may not be the same in yours, but it does not change his character. It does not change how good he is. Which means, I look to Jesus, I look to creation, I look up to my Heavenly Father, but also I'm willing to look to others. And I don't look to others for comparison, I look to others for challenge and comfort and support. And where does that come? Well, it sneaks into these verses. Let me show you how it sneaks in. It sneaks in when you get over to verse 28. It says, why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But watch what Jesus does in verse 29. He says, yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you O oh, you of little faith. Why does Jesus slip Solomon's name in there? Well, it's for a comparison purpose, but maybe not in the way that we would expect. Because when we're dealing with anxiety or worry, it's easy to talk to yourself in this way. If I just had that person's income, then I wouldn't be worried anymore. If I just had that person's career, I wouldn't be worried anymore. If I just had that person's family, I wouldn't be worried anymore. And so we determine the level of our worry and anxiety. In, in other words, we determine our faith in God based on our circumstances versus someone else's circumstances. And Jesus says, the greatness of Solomon doesn't even compare with the grass of the field and the flowers and their beauty. So be so careful when you're dealing with worry and anxiety of looking on social media and seeing everyone else's perfect life that only makes your worry worse because it seems like your life is not perfect compared to theirs. 
This is one of the reasons that for teenagers, the statistics for anxiety and worry are just off the charts, running out of control right now. Part of it, not all of it, but part of it seems to go back to phones and social media and this just constant identity crisis of how I compare to others and what others are, are thinking about me. It's the kind of worry that pastors deal with when they're like, oh man, that person's going to, they're going to leave and they're going to go to the cooler church somewhere else because we're not good enough. And then you start to build up this worry about things that don't even matter. What matters is the mission that God has called us on because of the gospel. Not about how we compare to somebody else, but if we're not careful, we're always looking to people in comparison, wondering, am, am I going to live up to that? And so what does Jesus say? He says we need to look to others, but we look to them for comfort. We look to them for challenge. You need people who are going to speak into your life and say, hey, I'm with you. I care for you. Now get up and get going. Those are the good friends we need, not people we look at and we're constantly comparing ourselves against. So what do I do? What does Jesus say we do when we're dealing with anxiety? We look to him for salvation. We look to creation. We get outside of ourselves. We look up to God, prayer, worship, scripture, gathering with the church. We look to one another because we're not in this alone. And then Jesus brings this first things philosophy to us. It shows up in 32 and 33. 32, he says, the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Parents, you think your kids don't always pay attention to like the little pieces of artwork with scripture that, that are in your, uh, in your house, but the very first verse that I ever remember memorizing was this verse right here because my parents had it on this placard that was in their room. And I remember as a little kid seeing this verse over and over and over again, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. What does this mean? It means... That if you take a jar, and you've done this with your kids probably before, if you take a jar and you have some big rocks and some small rocks, if you try to put all the small rocks in there first and then put the big rocks in, it's not all going to fit. But if you put the big rocks in and then you put the little rocks around them, it will fit in the jar, which means we have to get the right things first. What is most important has to get our attention. We're not dominated by the small things in life that draw us aside. Jesus says, focus on what is first. Focus on what is most important. Because when you get those things right, then you'll be able to do the next thing. You guys that deal with depression and worry and anxiety on a very deep level, you know that one of the biggest challenges is simply taking the next step in life. Sometimes anxiety and depression can make you feel frozen, and, and, and you don't even know what to do next. You're like, where do I even go? What do I even do next? Just do the next most important thing. Just do the next thing that's in front of you. Get the first things right, and then Jesus will take care of all the other things. All those other things will fall into place. What does this mean? I give my first minutes of the day to the Lord, 
not to my problems. This is so hard, and I deal with this on a constant basis. When you wake up, all the problems on your phone will still be there 10 minutes later. God is saying, when you wake up, look to me. I get the first thoughts of your day. I get the first moments of your worship. Look to me. Then you can pick up that and see what you're about to deal with that day. Because there, there will be trouble. There will be problems. But those problems don't get the first minutes of your day. The Lord gets the first minutes of your day. Because if you give him the first minutes, you're much more likely to give him the other minutes throughout the day. If you don't do that first, you're going to have a hard time fitting it in later. The first day of the week, Lord, I need this time to focus on you, to worship with others. I give you this, then you will take care of those other days to come. The first dollars, when you think about giving, if you pay all of your bills and deal with all of your worries and anxieties, is there ever money left over at the end to give to the things of the Lord? Yeah, very rarely. But if you determine ahead of time, he gets the first dollars, the first gift, then we're going to deal with all those other things. Do you see how this works? This is the idea. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Get those things right up front. And then you'll be amazed at how the other things will follow. Final verse, and we'll wrap up with this. Verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, the things to come. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Today gets my attention because it's a gift from God right in front of me. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that God is telling me, don't harden your heart. Give yourself to me. Trust me. Eternity matters. That gets my attention. Tomorrow doesn't. Tomorrow's going to have plenty of trouble when it comes. We'll let tomorrow worry about itself. So what does get my focus? The present right now matters. This very moment, how you respond to God's work in your life, do I trust him, do I worship him, that matters. Eternity matters. We're not playing fast and loose and pretending that doesn't matter. That gets my attention. Tomorrow, God's got that. He will take care of that. What do we do next? Well, what we're going to do next is we're going to stand up here in just a moment after I pray and we're going to sing a song that might be very difficult for you to sing right now. And it's the song, It Is Well With My Soul. Written by someone who was facing incredible anxiety, incredible trouble in life, having lost family members to death, having gone through a terrible tragedy, but saying, it is well with my soul. As you've seen this song that you may have sung many times before, Ask yourself, do I believe that? Is that true about me? And if it's not, this is the opportunity to seek out someone for prayer. Seek out someone for counsel. During this final song, we pass around our offering plates. You're going to have a chance to give, to put that guest card in there. But more important than that, more important than that, is you may be dealing with anxiety and worry in your life, and you just need to come down here to the front and pray. 
you need someone to pray for you, to pray with you. We want to be able to do that. And when we finish this psalm and we get ready to leave, we, can, we stay up here. If you need someone to pray with, if you're dealing with deep anxiety and worry, we want to be able to care for you through this. This week as well, I'm going to send out some follow-up resources. If this is something that really hits home, really difficult in your life of dealing with this, we're going to send you some things that I hope will be helpful for you, and you'll be able to continue to think about what God is doing in your life. Let me pray for us, and we're going to wrap up at this point. We're going to sing together. Father, thank you. Thank you for these words from Jesus. God, that hit home for so many of us. There may be somebody here who says, you know what, I, I, don't, wor- I don't deal with worry in that way, but your word is still true for them of the need to look, for Je- look to Jesus for salvation, of the need to get outside of ourselves and look at the creation that you've given us, God, that we would look up to you in worship and in praise through prayer and scripture. And God, we would look to one another remembering that we need one another. Just the ability to share what we're going through. God, it's so easy to get distracted by what's right in front of us and miss what's most important. But right now, God, Right now, in this moment, let us not miss what is most important. And that's that we would know and trust and worship you. So God, move in our hearts right now. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.